seen with one of these than one of the, the white masks. Um, so today, um, kind of like to continue on in somewhat of the same vein as last week. Um, but as I was trying to get ready, uh, thought struck me. A lot of the preachers that I know sit down and they plan out a series of sermons, some of them months in advance, maybe even a year. That amazes me. You know? um, I guess maybe when that's your profession, that's what you do. You know? At work, I, I plan ahead. My budget's together. I get my team in place. I know what's coming up. I know what needs to be done. Um, and so, in some ways, standing up here is offering me a new perspective. Um, especially doing it two weeks in a row, which I don't think I've ever done in my entire uh, opportunities to fill in. I wouldn't really call this a career. Um, though I did used to teach children's church every chance I got, because church we went to at the time sermons were so bad, I had more fun with kids. So, um, like I told Jeff, you know, you need to work on things if you see me running down with kids every week. Anyway. So, um, yeah, I've had a hard time kind of pulling two together. And uh, so, um, I spent some time thinking and praying about it. And um, I don't know how it happens, but occasionally the Spirit prods us. And it's not like this lightning bolt out of heaven, but... Something comes to you, and you start connecting the dots. And um, so I was put in mind of a time in my life a few years back when uh, Alexandra, who many of you know, um, was, I just finished high school. And she came to me and she said, Dad, I want to get a car. But great, for what? But I thought, you know what, this is an excellent opportunity. Here she is, 17 and a half years old. Um, it's time for her to start being an adult. She had a serious boyfriend. She was getting ready to go into the Marine Corps. And it was really time for her to learn to grow up. And what a better time to do it than when she was at home uh, with us. In a way, if she made mistakes, we could be there to support her and help her, rather than keeping her a child until she left home and had to struggle on her own. So I told her, you want a car, you got to get a job. Because even if I buy you a car, you still got to pay to maintain it. You need to learn that responsibility. And so <clears throat> she started looking. She found some opportunities and had some interviews. And she was searching. Um, and then I, I pulled into my park and ride, and there was this giant sign. Southern Maryland Blue Crabs Job Fair. If you don't know who the Blue Crabs are, it's a baseball team in Southern Maryland. And um, my parking ride happens to be in the stadium parking lot at the time. <clears throat> anyway, um, I came home and I said, look, let's go. It's on Saturday. And she was lukewarm about it. And I said, well, you know, we know people that work there. And she knew them because she'd uh, done shows with them at the theater, local theater. And so we went. And this was probably kind of nerve-wracking for her because... It was a mass environment where there was all kinds of candidates sitting around in the clubhouse at tables. And um, you had to go and sit and have an interview right there. And other people could hear what you said. You know, 
said, that's an alley you can find. So we went in there, and, and she filled out the application, got interviewed, and she was, the, the lady that interviewed her indicated, yeah, we're probably going to hire you. Um, so let me have that application for the concession stand, and she tore it up and threw it away. Um, it was a good sign, right? Um, and uh, Allie came to me, and she said, Dad, until I get a car, you're going to have to bring me here, and you're going to have to pick me up. And I said, yeah, I guess you're right. She said, why don't you work here? <laughs> and I thought, okay, let's see here. Um, yeah, I guess it makes sense. I'll get off my bus, walk up to the stadium, change, and go to second shift. You know? And so I thought, well, whatever, we'll just see what happens. So I filled out the application. This is for the first time in like 30 years, I sat down to interview for a minimum wage job. It should have made me feel young, but I felt a little foolish because the lady interviewing me kept saying she wasn't convinced that I would take it seriously. She thought, here you are, a professional who works long day in the office, is going to come down and work in a baseball stadium and devote the effort stick it through. So after about 20 minutes of talking, I think I kind of convinced her that I was, I was in it for my daughter and I would, I would take it seriously. And I told her, of course, hey, sometimes I travel and we'll have to work that out because, frankly, the U.S. Navy really is my priority here. And she said, yeah, she understood. She had a teenage daughter who was about a year younger than So she kind of understood about parents doing things for their kids. Um, so when we were done, she kind of indicated to me that I would be hired, but you know, it had to do the approvals and they'd call me later. And she said, now that we're done, do you have any questions for me? And I thought, oh, lady. <laughs> Does anybody ever ask you any questions? You know. Um, and so for those of you who are young and um, just starting out, I wouldn't necessarily recommend this approach on your first job interview, but when you've been around, as I have, you learn to ask these questions, and I said, look, I've spent 20 minutes convincing you why I should, you should have me work for you. I said, now, tell me why I should come work for you. Very awkward silence. It's clear no one had ever asked this woman this question before. And so, play the punchline when we're done. Um, <clears throat> we're just going to let that hang. <laughs> so, um, we're doing things differently. And uh, thank you, Miss Allen, for coming. Um, like I mentioned last week, this reminds me a lot of when I was younger and we were doing church small church that met in what used to be a house. It was hit or miss as to who would come and play the music, and so we had the same hymnals, and we had the same kind of arrangements, and it was wonderful. So I feel hunger a little bit, although singing through a mask isn't helping. So um, I'd like you to turn to the book of Revelation, and we're going to start with chapter 1. We're going to go through the whole thing, and you're going to understand exactly what it means. Um, but I would, I would like to set a little bit of context. 
You know, a lot of Christians kind of fear and wonder about this book, okay? And I'm not here to um, set you straight. Um, there's a lot of smarter people than me who have come up with various interpretations. And so if some of you are really caught up in your uh, whatever variant of millennialists, uh, pre-millennialist, amillennialist, post-millennialist, or whatever. Um, and some of you might be kind of like most Christians who are like pan-millennialists. Hey, it's all in God's hands, going to pan out in the end. Um, but I would like to encourage you that uh, um, we can read, we can understand, and we ought to try and let the Spirit guide us. Um, so as, as you may remember at this point, um, John is, the, the Apostle John is the last survivor of Jesus' apostles living on earth. And after his arrest, the Romans had decided rather than make a martyr out of him, we're going to imprison him alone on an island where he never gets to see anybody else, and that would be a fate worse than death. And for many of us in this pandemic world, being alone is not that, that bad. But being with the same people all the time is driving us crazy. Um, so I do apologize, kids, for that. Um, but anyway, you, you kind of start to get, like I encouraged this last week, to identify with these characters in the story. Um, so before we really dig into things, I'd like, like to remind you just a couple of real quick things. First of all, this is a revelation. Uh, things that are revealed are not always crystal clear. You don't always get more than a glimpse. Sometimes you get a picture. Sometimes our eyes can deceive us. And we interpret what we see based on our experiences. And so, I get it. It's going to be cloudy. Um, but, it is a revelation of Stand, most important act. So let's let's start in uh, chapter one, verse three. It says here, "Blessed is he who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear, and who keep what is written therein, for the time is near." <laughs> Imagine that. You start the book by promising blessings on those who read, hear. John here was um, was a mortal man, and he was shown these visions of things in the spiritual realm. And while he uses divinely inspired words, he's still using our words to describe things that are not of this world. Um, sometimes those those words seem to inadequately paint this picture of what he saw. And that inadequacy tends to kind of cloud what we think we hear or see in the word pictures. Um, so I'd like to read on. Uh, we're going to skip down to verse 9 here. And it says, I, John, your brother, who share with you in, the, in, in Jesus the tribulation, the kingdom, and the patient endurance, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. <clears throat> uh, 
I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet, saying, Write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, I kind of take that to mean that he was closely communing with God. And who better than an apostle to really be in the Spirit? Um, I know to a lot of Christians that means different things, and we're not going to worry about what that means. But he was in the Spirit, and God was God was ready to talk to him. Um, but what did, he, what did he hear? He received this vision and given a mission to write what you see and send it to the seven churches. Okay. So let's read on. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden girdle round his breast. His head and hair were white as wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth issued a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Now write what you see, what is, and what is to take place hereafter. Imagine that. Thankfully for me and most of you here today, we're going to stick with what is. <laughs> we're not going to worry about what is to be in the hereafter. That's, uh, that's for another day. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so let's uh, let, let's read on. Uh, verse 20. As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So what do we see here? These angels, typically angel refers to as someone who carries a message of God, we kind of see that as the leader leaders of the church, and um, they are, where does it say they are? In Jesus' right hand, okay? Um, and it tells us that Jesus walks among the lampstands, that he's among his people, okay? Um, that ought to be both immensely comforting, maybe a little bit terrifying. This book makes no secret that Jesus is both redeemer and judge and execution. Um, and so I want you to kind of think about that as we explore these words that are given to these seven churches. Carrying on in uh, chapter 2, verse 1, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven lampstands. 
I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear evil men, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and that you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then from what you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And you can read on the rest. But here at Ephesus, he praised them for their hard work, their intolerance of false teaching and evil. He judged them, though, for falling into autopilot, for turning the church into a religion instead of a relationship with God. Our, Our friend Eric Katvala, who used to run the sound here, ran around barefoot every Sunday. And most Sundays, he had a brown t-shirt that said, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And that's what Jesus was trying to get at with the people at Ephesus. Are we following the rules? Are we worried about what builds our image? Or are we worried about what God wants from us? And, and drawing closer to him. And he warned them that if they didn't fix that, repent from that um, their lamp would be removed now as we go through this um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time I'd encourage each of you to to look up these cities at this time because some of these things that are discussed here give you clues as to what kind of city and what kind of people there were there and that that was exciting as I read through them but I thought you know what there's so much here spirit of trying to get through this kind of quickly and in a, a, a total view, um, I, I didn't want to, to bog us down. Um, we're going to go through all seven churches, and, and I just want you to know that there was a whole lot more than seven. Um, but seven is a complete number, and I think there's enough examples in each of these that you get a picture of what the church universal was like in the first century province of Asia in the Roman Empire. And um, I, I think that, uh, that that might help us to see things um, a little more clearly. So let's read on, uh, skipping down to verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who conquers shall not be hurt by the second death. This church at Smyrna, Jesus is sympathizing with them, reminding them that in spite of their poverty, they're in fact quite wealthy. It reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from an old western where the grizzled old cowboy turns to the young hand and says, Son, don't ever measure wealth dollar sign. 
that guy had a handle on the treasures of heaven versus the treasure of the world. They were praised for their perseverance, even though they were suffering. He encouraged them to stay faithful unto death. He didn't back away from telling them trouble and death were coming. Let's read on. Verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, words of him who has the two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. You hold fast to my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice immorality. You also have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans, then, if not, I will come soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. With this church in Pergamum, again, he sympathized with them because they lived in a very pagan, wicked city. Um, he praised them for their faithfulness, and yet he judged them for their tolerances of those who would try to use God for their own gain to manipulate the church and for allowing this false doctrine to be preached. And he warned them that they would be corrected. Correction is not always nice. I know very few people who actually welcome the rebuke. <laughs> Most of us don't like it, okay? Um, and when it comes from God, you know it means something better take it seriously. Um, let's read on, verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you. But you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and beguiling my servants to practice immorality and to eat the food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her doings. I will strike her children dead, and all the churches shall know but I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give each of you as your works deserve. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, who have learned what who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay upon you any other burden. Hold fast to what you have until I come. Thyatira, they were praised for their their growth their love, which the first century church was known for, that they loved everybody. It didn't matter whether you were slave or free, rich or poor, whether you were Jew or Gentile, though they struggled with those things, many of the observers, secular observers who write, mention that they were known for their love for each other. And here, Thyatira, that's, that's very evident, and Jesus is recognizing for them. 
this of them. Their faith, um, their service, and they had continued to grow. They weren't still doing the we should obey God lesson. They moved on to something greater and of more spiritual significance. He did judge them for their tolerance of this immoral teacher. Um, in our society today, we are challenged to be tolerant of other folks' views and other people's opinions. And, and, and we're challenged almost to the point of expected to celebrate those, even though they may be difficult for us or offensive to us. And so I, I caution us to allow the world around us to set the standard for Christian behavior. I think, I think Jesus has done a very admirable job of painting the picture that he came for all of us lost folks. We need to see those folks as Jesus saw them and not let them twist us send us off on the wrong path. Um, He certainly warned them to stay away from her and her followers and talk about beauty of beauties. For those of you who are faithful, I don't give you any more burden. Being faithful is hard enough. Just hang on. Right? Wouldn't that be great? We could be there. (laughs) All we had to do was just hang on. Um, So let's read on. Uh, um, Excuse me. Chapter 3, verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the name of being alive, and you are dead. Awake and strengthen what remains and is on the point of death. For I have not found your works perfect in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not awake, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. In Sardis, um, they were judged for being alive in name only, though they were dead, lacking in in doing anything. They they were kind of like the church with the fancy sign that, um, that's it, building, sign, the name of the the church, really the people. Um, he warned them to wake up and strengthen what remains to repent that's like a second chance right and and Jesus though I would think being holy and perfect gosh ought to be be disgusted by these people Um, and yet he warned them gave them that second chance to repent and he, he encouraged the few that had not yet uh, uh, gotten themselves dirty to carry on. Let's pick up in verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one shall shut, who shuts and no one will open. 
I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow before your feet and learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word of patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial which is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell upon the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may take your crown. He who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall never go out of it. I will write his name. I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven, in my own new name. Philadelphia here um, was praised for their works and faithfulness, even though they were they were small and didn't carry a lot of weight. Um, but he did remind them of their opportunity that they had an open door God was holding open for them um, and he promised them protection in, in the trials to come and the trials were coming down on the whole world he encouraged them however to not let anyone take their crown away um, at times we can get complacent when we know we're safe what can I do wrong and they stop worrying about being diligent it's something we've got to hang on to let's move on to Laodicea here in verse 14 to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness the beginning of God's creation I know your works you are neither cold nor hot would that you were cold or hot because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not knowing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Therefore I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may be rich and white garments to clothe you to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen and salve to anoint your eyes that you may see those I love, I reprove and chasten, to be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Ouch. Folks at Laodicea were judged for being lukewarm. They were warned that God was going to spit them out. Greek here not a Greek scholar, so I'm relying on the else's scholarship, uh, is a forceful ejection. God's really sick of it, ready to get rid of it. But he did remind them that, hey, I'm correcting you because I love you. And he encouraged them to pay attention when Jesus knocks at the door and calls out for him to open it. That Jesus wouldn't just run away, but he would actually come in and get involved with them. Um, as I mentioned earlier, certainly there were more churches in Asia at the time, um, but I would like us to kind of consider that this offers a picture 
of the universal church as a whole. Um, and last week I encouraged you to engage with the characters in the story. I hope you did this today also. It might be easy to cast judgment and find good examples of uh, how we should not be. It's generally the easiest thing to find. Um, but may I submit to you here that we are all just people, and people haven't been all that different over time. Ecclesiastes tells us there's nothing new under the sun. There isn't going to be anything new. People are people. We have our very similar weaknesses, strengths, worries, hurts, fears. We get the same encouragement. We can have the same victories. Some of us might look at the churches in Sardis and Laodicea and kind of look down our noses at them and say, oh, they're terrible. I know some churches that are like that. But in spite of the fact that they were in bad shape, Jesus offered them hope and correction because he still loved them. We ought to love those kind of people too. The interesting thing is... Um, that first verse I read in chapter 1, verse 3, where it talks about blessed is he who reads this, this letter was written to, the, to be read in all the churches. How would you like to be one of those churches where the angel stood up and read this letter, and if you weren't on this list, you know, it would be quick to, oh boy, those, those fellows down the road. They get their act together. You know, that that may be where we are. We're not on this list. But because it's a picture of the universal church, we need to take heed from all those words, those encouragements and warning corrections. Imagine if you were the angel in the church in Laodicea. What kind of burden would that put on you? You know? Ugh. I'm getting called out by Jesus himself and not just in front of the church board or my close friends, but in all of the province of Asia, all these churches are going to know we've got some work to talk about some accountability. Talk about some stress on a leader. Thank God Jesus commanded us to pray for our leaders. And thank God he holds them in his right hand. Some might look at the churches in Smyrna and Philadelphia and think, they, they weren't too bad. They're doing, they're, they're doing the best. And yet what did Jesus tell them? Hang on, because bad times are coming. Why? Find out what you're made of. God has tested his people from the beginning of time, and he will continue to do so to the end. We aren't here function on a gospel of prosperity and, and, and continual uh, material blessing. We are here to be faithful and to follow and serve. I'm scared to death to say this stuff up here because somebody's going to start looking at me to do things differently. I'm doing my best, right? pray that you would pray that 
when I get my chance, I'll step up. I'll be praying for each of you, too. Um, so in each year, Jesus was there with them. He came to them as both judge and redeemer. They were all right there in God's hands. Remember, Jesus corrects those that he loves, so don't let the fact that you're learning a hard lesson really get you down. Stay faithful. Do what you know is right. Back to the basics. I had an old neighbor in Michigan, and um, when I told him that I'd lost my job at General Motors, where I'd worked for 18 years, he uh, <clears throat> said to me, in God's hands now. I said, yeah. He said, that can be a scary place. I said, yep. He said, but in the end, there's no better place to be. So, today, we face a very challenging time. Do we continue to function as the same church as we have? Honestly, what kind of church do you want to have? Do you want to be different? Do you want to get away from some of the behaviors that are called out by God if, if we find those here in our hard look at ourselves? Do we want to be more like those who work and who are faithful and who grow in things that truly count? This, this requires a great investment necessarily in buildings, but mostly in people, and caring about them and their, their, their spiritual uh, lives, trying to lay up those treasures in heaven. heaven. Can we respond to Jesus' praise of what is right and repent of what is wrong? Can we do our best to trust God with what we have, trust Him for the rest we need it? A lot of times we want to wait and everything together. I just encourage you that if Jesus were knocking for the church in Laodicea, he'd be knocking and calling for all the other churches. So let's let's trust the Holy Spirit, answer that door, um, and even look for the open door that Christ has placed before us. Um, maybe an opportunity for us, but we still need to make so, if I could here, let's go back to the interview story. Um, the interesting part is, she was speechless. In all the years I've known this woman, I've never known her to be speechless. And finally, after about a minute and a half, a very awkward silence, she looked at me and said, Boy, you get to stand around and watch baseball. You like baseball, don't you? And I said, Not really. I've never been a baseball fan. I never played it. Kids have never had any interest in it. She said, oh. Well, you get to meet some interesting people. I certainly have. Um, obviously, we missed out this year. The season was canceled. But, um, the point of that story was we stand in a, at a point in our history where we're looking at 
down for an interview with him. But even more daunting is, what would we say to God? Why should God come here and work with us? You know, are, are we one of the, the folks that need more correcting, or are we one of the folks that just need to hang on? So I want you to wrestle with that. I don't have easy answers. There aren't any easy answers. It comes down to searching and looking and trying to figure out. Jeff was good at this, trying to engage each of us into where we could make an impact. So let's, let's, let's take that hard look. Obviously, um, we have some time. We have time to build on what we have good. We have time to correct what might need to be corrected. We have time to celebrate uh, our, our great and wonderful God who walks among us as, as our Redeemer. Just remember, we have the time that He gives us. So let's not uh, wait too long. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we could read it. Lord, the, uh, the blessing of hearing it is kind of scary. Um, we know that it comes from you. And, uh, we're going to trust you on this. This is a blessing. We're going to try to hang on and be faithful, to examine those things that need to be worked on, and try to find a way to Lord, I ask that you would strengthen each of us here, and that the blessing would be that you give us that room to breathe, that opportunity that we could have some time to think, to talk to you, to really, really try to engage and do what is right. Lord, we know that we live in an area where evil is around us, many things that would lead us astray, us to stay faithful, uh, stay focused on you. Thank you for your son. We pray that bless we come and those who are here. Bring us all back together again next week. Uh, help us to find some of that joy that comes from being faithful. We love you. Thank you for Jesus for his presence here with us.